Uh, where is this thing? Oh shit! Oh, oh. God, fuck! <gasps> Sorry, you weren't supposed to see that yet. Ah! Oh, God. Stop looking! I'm fuck. not looking! I'm not looking! I'm not looking! <laughs> Holy fuck! No, I'm not looking. I'm All right, let's just dive into the surprise <laughs> shot. Holy fuck! Who's this one for? Shit! This for one's us? for Lauren. God for dang Lauren. it! My computer is fucked. Surprise shots! <laughs> surprise shots! We don't know what they are, cause they're a surprise. My computer is acting crazy, man. All kinds of windows are popping up. This shit. Stop watching porn on your computer, man. It's not porn. Oh my god, man! Just well, there was all those there pop-ups. Was, there was that one time. There was that one time we were trying to watch Jurassic Park. That was supposed to be in the. This is going to be in the episode, obviously, but not not right now. Before. Or anything. This one's for Lauren. What the fuck? I didn't even get one. Well, yes, you did. It's right there in front of you. Telling me I didn't get you something. Cheers. Oh, gross. What the fuck Cheers. is this? Oh, cucumber. Cucumber. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> liked that. Oh. That was nice. Refreshing. Welcome to Talk More to Me. My name is John. I'm sitting here with Jen and Nicole. Tonight we're talking about Unit 731. I'm going to try to finish this case up today. And what do you see there? Like, what's on the screen? It's like a... Insides. No, what What do you see oh, a inside? museum exhibit. It's a statue of, like, someone on an operating table with his organs open. What is one of those organs? Look closely. The intestine. The, the kidney. Do you not see a baby's face in there? No. What? Oh, my God. Yes, I do. I do okay, see it. Okay, that's what I was oh, looking for. Oh, my God. <laughs> So we're going to be reading from the book from Hal Gold, Infamous 731. This is from one of the scientists about vivisections. We talked about vivisection last week, which is the same thing as a dissection, but the human is open. I'm not going to go too much into vivisection because we already talked about that. Human's but, alive, you mean, right? Yeah. Th- what did I say? Open. Oh, so a vivisection is like dissection, but the human is still alive. This is for research purposes. This whole story is terrible. I'm not going to go too far into the vivisections, but I do want to kind of recap from last time. One of the scientists that performed vivisection, vivisections said the following, quote, vivisection should be done under normal circumstances. If we used anesthesia, they might have affected the body organs and blood vessels that we were examining. So we couldn't have used anesthetic, end quote. When the topic of children came up, this man offered another justification. Quote, of course there were experiments on children, but probably their fathers were spies, end quote. Now, I see that a lot in this story. So one way to get people okay with cutting open another human is to just simply tell them that, oh, they're a spy, especially in in those countries. I mean, have you seen man? You saw man on the high castle, right? Yes. The the Kemp and Tai are looking for these spies. If you say someone's a spy, then it's pretty much okay to cut them open. Quote, there's a possibility this could happen again, the old man said, smiling genially, because in war, you have to win, end quote. Well, that didn't work for them. And I will tell you, I have always had a problem with us dropping the two bombs that we've we dropped on Japan in 1945. Not not that I had a problem with it, but I, a lot of people do, right? It's like, I mean, you you instantly <sighs> kill hard. you instantly kill 200 
plus thousand people in, in a second. And these aren't you're not dropping this on the military base. You're dropping it on Cities. civilians. It's a city. I mean, schools, women, children. There were there's there's uh, testimonies of uh, of middle school aged children. I mean, the, it's kind of like the Putin thing now, right? He just blew up the train station. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It's it's condemnable. But after you hear this story and what I'm going to tell you tonight, you might have a different view on it. And and I'll get to that later about us dropping the bomb because they the the Japanese army were not going to stop and they actually had plans for us to Americans with this germ warfare thing. And it almost came to fruition. And all of this is declassified from documents that have been recently declassified from the CIA. And I'm telling you, it's a plethora of information because the Americans basically hid this, right? They, they gave the Japanese immunity and they bought these secrets, all these research papers. Now they're coming out because it's been, what, 50 years in the Freedom of Information Act that you can't not release the stuff they have. And I don't know, it just, it just, it just it's really eerie to, for some of the stuff. Anyway, if you want to read this. Human experimentation gave researchers their first chance to actually examine the organs of a living person at will to see the progress of a disease. Vivisection was a new experience for the doctors of Japan. One former unit member explained that, quote, the results of the effects of infection cannot be obtained accurately once the person dies because putrefactive bacteria set in. Putrefactive bacteria are stronger than plague germs. So for obtaining accurate results, it is important whether the subject is alive or not. I mean, come on putrefactive bacteria that's really going to make a fucking difference i'm just saying anyway if you look at the pictures of the vivisection which i'm about to show one now so if you if you have a a weak stomach don't look but it doesn't look like they were doing much research it looks like they were freaking children playing in a damn sandcastle man look at this shit what the fuck research is this, man? It just looks like they were tearing apart her inside. Yeah, right? Tearing up my heart when I'm with you. And when we are apart, I feel it too. What? What research are they doing here, man? It, yeah, it looks like an animal It, it looks like, exactly. And, and all her of eyes the- are still open. Megan. Yes. Megan from live chat says, you're at the wrong podcast if you have a weak stomach. (laughs) Love it. Look at this one. What's in there? A baby. Look how peaceful that woman is. That's fucking terrible, man. That is fucking terrible. That's bad, man. Okay, he can. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You have subjected us <laughs> to some terrible, terrible things today, John. 
where's the where's just the bottle of vodka? Jen's like looking at a watch, like a fucking three fifteen, three fifteen. Okay, twenty minutes. All right. Oh yeah, guys. Just so you know, I am leaving early because yeah. I have a plane. She, to catch. She's got a plane to catch. All right, go ahead and read this, Nikoise Nikoonda. <laughs> the history of warfare for centuries has proven that in prolonged campaigns. The first or opened enemy kills 20% of the total mortality in the conflict, whilst the second or the silent enemy kills 80. This dreadful and unnecessary sacrifice of life, especially among the Anglo-Saxon races, is most ghastly proposition of modern war, and the Japanese have gone a long way toward conquering or eliminating it. Look at that again. Okay, because this is the reason why... Japan started germ warfare. Tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about germ warfare. We're going to be talking about infecting people with all kinds of screwed up diseases, anthrax, all kinds of stuff. COVID. COVID. This made me think a lot about COVID. I, but it is. I think it was an act of biological warfare. That's a theory. It may be. After reading this, I kind of thinking it may be. But from that quote you just read, Nicole, you said that the silent enemy. The silent enemy is bacteria. The silent enemy that is killing 80% of the soldiers. Now, this isn't in today's military, obviously, because you know we have we have penicillin and other things. Penicillin. <laughs> you know, after you get it home <laughs> from amoxicillin. the amoxicillin. Oh, yeah. I'm you... allergic to amoxicillin. Oh. I know it sucked because that medicine was so tasty when I was a kid. <laughs> after a long night at Sharky's. <laughs> Sharky Strip Club Penicillin I'm gonna go get another drink <laughs> Syphilis But back then 80% of the soldiers died From freaking the silent killer It's not like 8% That's one thing 80% Only 20% of people are dying from bullets Japan was the first one To actually embrace this For what it was And perform germ germ preventive maintenance the guy that started this which we're about to talk about ishii he actually came up with the first potable potable water system that we st- potables? Uh, that we still use today the same technology but the reason why is because over there if you're fighting this war that lasts months or years with each other and you're all in the woods trying to screw each other up that enemy could easily poison the water supply the the local river whatever and this happened a lot and then you drink that now your whole freaking platoon is down so this guy invented this whole water purification thing that took the took that out of the equation okay so it's it's very important for this time anyway going back to what you said real quick about the vivisections even with the intestines and organs exposed, a person does not die immediately. It is the same physical situation as ordinary surgery under anesthesia in which a person is operated on and res- restored. Witnesses at vivisections report that the victim usually lets out a horrible scream when the cut is made and that the voice stops soon after that. This is from another researcher, quote, I cut him open from the chest to the stomach, and he screamed terribly, and his face was all twisted in agony. He made this unimaginable sound. He was screaming so horribly, but then, finally, he stopped. 
This was all in a day's work for the surgeons, but it really left an impression on me because it was my first time. That's from the New York Times, 1995, unmasking horror, a special report in the gruesome uh, war atrocity known as Unit 731. So this is the guy that started everything right here. In every case I've seen in these vivisections, which go on, there's a lot of cases. Everyone is the same. You cut open the alive victim on the table and they make this horrid, horrid, screechy scream. Then they go into what I've heard a lot in this case, the death throes. And then they finally just die. It's somewhere between the blood loss and the removal of vital organs is when they finally pass away. But they are conscious. They are alive. The the one one the pregnant woman we talked about last week said, go ahead and kill me, but please don't hurt my baby. But if you remember last week, nobody made it out of Unit 731 alive. My further research this week, you remember last week I said there was 100,000, maybe up to 100,000. My further research this week says there's over 200,000 people that have died. Not just in Unit 731, but all the surrounding areas. And this, I found evidence that doesn't even, that includes Americans as well. Mm. Americans that we're going to talk about that were, Americans that were preserved in test tubes, like you see in the alien movies. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut up and, and put in liquid. Formaldehyde? Yeah, formaldehyde, yeah. Or something to that effect. I, I have the quote in here. Anyway, this is the guy that started all of this right here. Oh. And if you watch The Man in the High Castle, which I definitely recommend. Yeah. It's an old Philip K. Dick book. He does a lot of things with like second uh, worlds type of like if if like uh, what do you call it? Uh, history. Uh, revisionist history where, OK, what if Japan would have won the war? What if the Nazis would have invaded? That's what that whole show is about. Anyway, the guy that and is, where, what, is that on what? Uh, what what is that? Was it on HBO or something? Prime. 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 Yeah. Anyway, the guy you're looking at now the one of the main characters was modeled after this guy. You can tell a similarity. I don't know if you can, Nicole. The one, the main Japanese guy, mm-hmm. is she? Yeah, he, he. Yeah. Are you even listening to this? Yes. Story? <laughs> I mean, he like they they were like ruthless. And- you better not be on eBay. If you're fucking selling shit on, give, give no. me flip your computer. Do not close it. Do not close. Don't close it. Let let me see. You closed it. Give it to I me. I didn't close it. Give Somebody it did me. try to offer me something for something. You were on eBay? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Give me the computer. <laughs> You're done. You're this time off. in Talk <laughs> Radio to Me History when Jen is the most well-behaved. <laughs> Give me the computer. You're done, dude. We have the live chat up here. Oh, oh, now <laughs> you switched to fucking, yeah, like you're watching this live stream. I am. Okay, well, you didn't clear your history. Let's see what this is. Oh, Poshmark. Oh my God, all of your history, literally, from the whole podcast episode, what are you talking about? even last episode, is Poshmark and eBay. Um, I'm sorry, someone <laughs> wanted a hat and they wanted it shipped today. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> if you go back and look at that video, you'll see that I knew she was doing eBay 
she was not paying attention. And then what was that thing you were saying? Oh, yeah, it does look like that show. It's a great show. It's like, well, what did I just say? Uh, All right. Should this be a good time? Like, it's not 3.15 yet, but I don't want to oh, like, leave fuck. in the middle of you thinking. I don't want to just get okay. up and leave. Uh, then yes. If yeah. you think it's a good time, Jen, then then just leave us. Well, listen, Let's just, take the, the meanness off of me for a minute. Yeah, you can blame me for the rest of the time. That's right. God, this is fucking just me here. <laughs> no, I I'll I'll log into the live stream. No, why would you do that? So I can communicate. You're, you're not a paying member. You're not. Yeah, so. You're not a supreme. <laughs> you're not you a supreme. Boo! Three dollars is all I can do. <laughs> well, you can watch it next week when we put it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, god shit. all right so i'm gonna go through this really quick guys this is is she shiro born june 23rd uh 1892 i wonder if they did make the the character from him because like honestly he does look, look just like him. <laughs> i told you they made him like that <laughs> yeah they did make him like that <laughs> okay this guy right here now, I want to say, yes, you can blame this guy for this, but keep in mind that in 1925, the Geneva Convention banned germ warfare. Banned germ warfare. Right after that happened, the Japanese government withdraws from the Geneva Convention because the thinking was, if it is bad enough to get banned, then we need to research it. So that is where this guy comes in. He is the perfect candidate to research and not only research, but to advance this germ warfare to a new level. And the Japanese have a great opportunity here because every other country has agreed not to use germ warfare. So it is literally just them doing this. And apparently this is the thing. He was born in 1892, 1916. He graduated from the Kyoto Imperial University in the medical field. He's an intelli a very intelligent guy. He was born into a wealthy family. He enlisted into the army. He was commissioned as a lieutenant. He is the perfect candidate because all the time that he was in his undergraduate, before he knew he was going to be the face of this. And by the way, I want to say this is the guy that was... The, the main guy that the U.S. government protected from the Nazi uh, war crimes. So at the time World War II ended, then the Nuremberg trials happened. The Nazis were on trial, and they still are on trial. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was like two months ago, they were trying a, a Nazi, one of the last out there. He was 102 years old. Wow. And they finally tracked him down. And he's, I think he's in trial now for it. So they're still, and th that's the last of them, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you remember like when I did the uh, Colonia Dignidad podcast, how, I mean, so few people were prosecuted in the Nuremberg trials. That's, but. And so to go after somebody now, it's like, it feels like it's just for show. I mean, honestly, and I, I say that as someone who's lost family that I obviously I will never know from the Holocaust, well, you know, what's really screwed up about this. And I'm not talking about about anyone's government, because like I said, humans are terrible, man. 
this this could have been in anyone's government. You you like Japan is just terrible. Why would they do this? But then you realize that the Americans bought yeah. out this and then used the research, and then you realize the Russians were using it. I mean, honestly, in wartime like that, I don't know, man. You just do anything. I guess the thinking is to to survive. But I'm telling you right now, this germ warfare stuff is extremely scary right here. The stuff that they were doing is terrifying. And this was, what, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. So think about it now. If I'm telling you, germ warfare, this stuff could kill people way faster than any other thing, any other type of warfare. From from yeah, what? Yeah, and now now I guess it would be chemical warfare. Yeah, it is the term. But I, I was looking up the history. The the first to ever use germ warfare was and and these guys use a lot of the bubonic plague. The first one in noted history to do that was Genghis Khan. Hmm. He and this is kind of interesting if you want to look this up, but he was the first one to use this uh, germ warfare. And what they would do is they would kill their enemy and they would let their bodies rot a little bit. And then they would put them on a catapult, a catapult and they would sling them over the castle walls. And that body would be deteriorating and the bacteria would make everyone sick. So he, <laughs> I mean, apparently that was extremely effective. And he was the first one that I've seen that uh, tried that. Pretty interesting. Anyway, this guy right here, Ishishiro, he actually goes back to Kyoto University, gets his PhD in bac bacteriology, and as I said, he's fascinated. He looks up everything he can about World War One and the methods of using germ warfare or bio-warfare, and he, he marries the university president's daughter. So now he is in the perfect position to start this unit because you have to have he's come he comes from a wealthy background he's a he's a commissioned officer and he is married to a very prestigious man in Japanese society at the time so from Hal Gold's book quote this marital link cemented his position with the university's medical research people and facilities in a sense thus it also laid the beginnings of a foundation for his human experimentation in china all right this is a little bit about the thing i just wanted to include this this is the this is what he came up with his uh, water purification that's his patent right there and i don't really know how this works but i do know that we use something like this now because i used to see it in the military all the time but basically what it would do from what i researched is it would just pull water from a local water source like a river mm -hmm. which a lot of times was contaminated because these these warring powers would actually contaminate like they would give cows this disease or whatever and they would slaughter them and then throw them into the river and that bacteria would spread to the local river source which doesn't only kill the soldiers but it also kills everyone, everyone. else fucking down the line so there's not a true number of casualties because all the villagers are dead too but anyway to combat that, and if you're spending months and months and months out in, in the woods 
out in the wilderness, you need a water supply, a constant water right. supply, and you cannot trust the local stream and boiling water is just not an option. This is too much uh, time and, and to do that. So what this would do, it would pressurize the water in, in some kind of a gravel stone. It would pressurize it so much and kind of filtrate it through there and clean it all. It was basically like a Brita. It was a Brita filter. Hmm. That's all it was. is a big ass fucking Brita filter. But you use pressure. So you would like squeeze it through there. Almost like an espresso machine. How the it uses that pressure just to push yep. the water down. So that's basically what it was. But it was revolutionary at the time. Like literally revolutionary. So this is uh, another just a couple pictures I found of... of this thing in action. These are kind of old pictures, but uh, here's another one of them using it. Like I said, this was revolutionary. So he invented this. Now, who else could start this unit? Because it wasn't just him. He did. He did uh, found the idea and kind of push it forward. But this germ warfare was what Japan as an entity wanted. You know, they because it's such a small island. They have to they have to have the advantage somehow, you know what I'm saying? And so that they decided to do germ warfare. So about some of the experiments found in Unit 731 before we talk about the germ warfare, when the Russians invaded in and the Americans got there, they saw some of the experiments that were going on, and this is one of them right here. Takeo Wano, a 71-year-old former medical worker in Unit 731 who now lives here in northern Japanese city of Moroika, said that he once saw a six-foot-high glass jar in which a Western man was pickled in formaldehyde. The man had been cut into two pieces vertically, and Mr. Wano guesses that he was Russian because there were many Russians then living in the area. So it goes on to say... Quote, I saw samples with labels saying American, English, and Frenchmen, but most were Chinese, Koreans, and Mongolians, said a Unit 731 veteran. Quote, those labeled as American were just body parts, like hands or feet, and some were sent in by other military units, end quote. So, they were, this unit was actively testing all kinds of shit, not just the vivisections and germ warfare and stuff like that, but they were actually doing some Mingle type of experiments here. It's just like they had no boundaries whatsoever. If you want to read this, this is from one of the CIA reports that I found. The NHK programs showed color diagrams and detailed descriptions of about 400 experiments, such as one in which a prisoner was infected by a strand of anthrax bacteria that was then tracked as it spread throughout his body. Pretty crazy, isn't it? All and right. They, so they're like, in each of these cases, they're opening up the bodies while they are still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, for the biological warfare section I'm going to talk about, we don't actually, I couldn't find an actual an actual photo of this, but I will try to um, describe it for you. A couple hundred yards away from the facility, the Unit 731 facility, which you just saw, the smokestacks, up on a hill, it's called 
ANDA. It was a ANDA is a testing site. This is where they would test the germ warfare. And I'm talking about germ warfare. This is the, the meat of the potatoes here. Here's how they would do it. They needed fleas to pass on whatever bacteria they're testing. Let's say they're testing anthrax, right? Let's say they want to test the anthrax on someone's body. Well, they need a way to get that anthrax inside that person through natural transmission. So what they would use is fleas. Now, they also need a way to test how to get that anthrax into a population without just going and releasing a bunch of fleas because that that shit doesn't work right they they need to they need to find a way to bomb an entire area so on this little hill called anda they conducted this research which they would tie these pres these maruta up on this cross like they were being crucified they covered their head their all their extremities were covered with uh, like like armor, armor covers. Because what they were going to do is drop bombs right by them, and the bombs contained fleas with the bacteria. They didn't want their arms to blow off and then you know to die. They just wanted to test the how they could spread it easily. Later, they tested different diseases and different uh, bacteria with balloons, and in fact. I found in one of these reports that right before we dropped the bomb in September, so we dropped the bomb in August. In September, there was a plan to be carried out to drop or, or to uh, kamikaze pilot a bunch of uh, a bunch of unknown bacteria into California, into San Diego. They were going to do that. That was scheduled on the list. And then we dropped the bomb like two months before. When biological warfare bombs were tested, each Maruta was protected with headgear and the metal plate hung from the neck to cover the front part of the body. These protective devices prevented death or serious injury that would make it impossible to obtain the needed data. Arms and legs were left exposed so that they could be bitten by the disease-carrying insects. Yeah, pretty crazy, isn't it? God. Crazy. If you want to read this, this is uh, what I found about how more than 200,000 were killed. Now, they were testing this not just on the Maruta and prisoners. They were, they were infecting the local water supplies uh, from the Chinese because, remember, they're in Manchuria right there. And around Manchuria is occupied by the Japanese. But around that area, around the towns, was what was referred to as Free China. They would conduct these warfare experiments, these germ warfare experiments on the public there. So this is where the numbers get inflated a lot. Not just the people killed in Unit 731, but all the villagers as well. If you want to read that, uh, oh, actually, there you go. Sheldon H. Harris, a historian at a California site university in Northridge, estimates that more than 200,000 Chinese were killed in germ warfare field experiments. Professor Harris, author of a book on Unit 731, Factories of Death, also says that plague-infected animals released as 
as the war was ending and caused outbreaks of the plague that killed at least 300,000 people in the Harbin area from 1946 through 1948. So a couple other things they would do, one to test, because this went on for a few years, they would test, they would put someone infected with whatever disease in confinement with another person who was not infected, and then they would study how long it takes to spread and stuff like that. But the the main part of Unit 731 was to test for mass release of biological of biological warfare. They would use fleas. And how do you think they would get these fleas? Uh, were they like hanging around dead animals type thing? Kind of. So to get the fleas, they caught rats. What they would do is they would pay the locals and they wouldn't tell them what they were doing, but they would pay them better than they were making anywhere else. And plus it, this, like everyone's pretty much poor farmers. Mm -hmm. They would pay these locals to catch rats and the fleas on the rats, they would give them these little tweezers and tell them to pick them off. Later, what they did is started raising their own rats and multiply, like multiplying these fleas. Uh, uh, one rat would have about 100 or so fleas on it. They would chloroform both the rat and the fleas, too, and they would just pick them off one by one, the fleas, because the fleas is what can get affected. That's what they were using. This whole warfare thing was based on these fleas. For instance, in in what I was talking about earlier with the attack on in California, the attack was actually called Cherry Blossom. This was a, a go. This was thing was this thing was going to happen. It was completely documented. Toshima Misabuchi, who was an instructor for the new recruits in Unit Seven Three One, said the idea was to use twenty of the the five hundred new troops who arrived in Harbin in July nineteen forty five. A submarine was to take a few of them to the seas off Southern California, and then they were to fly in a plane carried on board the submarine and con and contaminate San Diego with plague-infected fleas, which is the bubonic plague they're talking about. The target date was to be September 22nd, 1945. It's actually exactly what Lauren said in the chat. I remember reading mm. something about the U.S. using an aerial defense system pr to protect the West Coast from an aerial attack from Japanese bombs. Yeah. No, or bal balloons. Balloons, yeah. So, he, so they... They were balloons were a thing too. They they were basically putting these rats that had the fleas on them in balloons. They, there was a couple methods. They would use balloons. They would use these ceramic kind of bombs they made that would shatter and break, and then the rat would just run out, and the fleas would jump off and infect people. So they were doing this not only to the prisoners but the population. They were actively testing this stuff. Right. Anyway, yeah, great point, Lauren. But that that shocked me right there because, as I said, the target date for that operation, Cherry Blossom, was in and was in full effect. That target date was September twenty second, nineteen forty five. We bombed Japan on August sixth, nineteen forty five. So I've always kind of had. I mean, everyone's kind of got a problem with it. What if we decided not to drop the bomb because? This bio-warfare, this germ warfare, plague-infected fleas in Southern California, 
I mean that that could yeah, that could be the the game changer right there. You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, how fast would that spread? Extreme. I mean, look how fast COVID spread. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Look how fast that shit spread. And that was from one dude eating a fucking bat. Imagine if a country now. Imagine, and I'm sure they're doing it. Imagine if they're testing these fleas and these viruses. If they release I'm sure that our shit, country is testing it. If they release that shit, it's so scary to think about. I've never been as worried until I've read the story. Anyway, uh, one last thing I want to talk about. I'll kind of finish this up. There's a whole PDF, and it's like a hundred something pages about the U.S. intelligence that they obtained from this. It is very well documented that the U.S not only knew about this, but protected the criminals. I don't know what you guys think about that. If you're in the U S it's kind of effed up in my opinion, but if you want to read this, the evidence showed that the U S military obtained data from the tests in exchange for shielding the perpetrators from prosecution at the 1946 to 1948 Tokyo war crimes tribunal. The program said, anyway, I think I'm going to stop here. It's not the same without Jen. Next week, I'm going to try to get out three episodes because they're all really related to each other. In fact, one of the killers kills another one of the killers. Whoa! <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I was like, because I was looking at this one killer, which is really popular. Like people really want to see this guy's autopsy. And so I was looking up that and then I was like, wow, he killed this other killer. I was like, wow, that's crazy. That's two stories right there. And they're both full stories. That so. is two stories. I don't know. To, to this week was kind of weird, guys. So that is the that's what I'm. That's all I'm doing for Unit Seven Three One. I'm done with the case. Join us next week. We got some crazy cases. And until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.